there's many things that are going on. There's some things you can control. There's some things you can't. And then there's other things that you can influence. And so focus on the things you can control and influence the things you can influence and try not to worry about the things you can't control. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya and today my guest is Simon Kundal. Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure, Simon. I'm looking forward to digging into all things leadership. But before we get started, would you please share with me and our audience the role that you're in today and the company that you work for? So I'm currently the head of customer experience at a software company called Campminder. We're based out of Boulder, Colorado. And we make a summer camp management platform that serves most camps in North America. It helps them streamline their activity planning, get the registrations in, payment processing. And we offer a really cool suite of parent engagement tools throughout the summer that lets parents kind of follow along the camper journey while their loved ones are away at camp. This sounds light years beyond what camp was like back when we were kids. I'm not <laughs> going to say when that was, but it was a while ago. Let's just say that. All right. And now parents can follow along with their kids. Tell me more about how that works, because in the old days, it was just ship your kid off to camp and then pick them up a week or two <laughs> weeks or whatever the time period was later. So what's capable today that allows some interaction or what's even possible? With the evolution of digital pictures, parents love to see their kids doing activities or making new friends and making memories. And so our service companion allows parents to upload a training picture of their camper and then the camps upload photos. And when that happens, the parent gets a push notification saying, hey, there's a picture of your camper. Come take mm. a look. And so some of these camps are uploading 10, 20, even over 100,000 pictures a summer. And so this service allows parents to, you know, still scroll through the albums and get the story of camp, but also have a dedicated album just for their camper saying like, look, here's your camper. And, you know, if you're in the office at work and you're having a rough day and then you get a note that your kid's on the rope swing for the first time, we get a lot of really emotional feedback through our CSAT channels yeah. with some really great quotes. This is everything. This has made my day. And oh, I'm so glad he's having fun. That's one big part of it. The other piece that it does really well is a lot of the residential sleepaway camps allow parents to write letters to their kids. But if they were just email blasting them in all the time, you'd have to have someone sitting there on a printer going print, print, print. And so our service allows them to be organized by camper and by bunk and put limits on how many emails the parents can send wow. and they can also get handwritten replies back in the same app so some of the camps offer a service where their kids can write a handwritten note saying i'm having a great time or a terrible time or an amazing mm -hmm. time or i've got new friends and that gets uploaded and you get a notification saying hey there's a letter from your camper and so you can see in your own camper's handwriting telling you their experience of what's going on so 
technology is a funny thing, right? Like we're a software company that's helping parents stay engaged with kids who we don't want using cell phones while they're away at camp. So it kind of comes full circle, but it's a really fun industry to serve. Camp people are great to work with. They're building a better future. And so we're lucky to support that. I love it. And you're based in Boulder, Colorado. Soft place in my heart for Boulder. I haven't gone to undergrad there at CU and what an incredible tech community and just what an amazing place it has become. It was a long time ago when I went there. It was, has evolved significantly, but give us a little bit of the lay of the land of what Boulder is like from a community perspective today, especially in the startup world. Yeah, it's great. I mean, my background is in customer success and there's a really good customer success community. I'm a big fan of the Meetup Colorado Customer Success. We meet once a month and we alternate between Boulder and Denver and have great speakers and panels come in. And I've found the community really open to sharing best practices, challenging each other with different problems on how we can help each other. I kind of joke that we're all dealing with the same problems, but some of those problems have got more zeros on the end than the others. But ultimately, what we're working with is trying to get people to get the best outcomes from our platforms and give the most value we can. And I've found it a really receptive and open community. The other great thing is Colorado locals might not appreciate me saying this, but there's not many people here. There's a lot of transplants who are coming in. So there's a lot of people willing to connect socially and make friends through the industry as well. It's been really nice coming here and being part of that. Yeah, that's awesome. And that was where we first connected, right? Was I came to speak to the Colorado CS meetup run by Ed Powers, an incredible yep. CS leader. And it was three plus years ago or so. And you came to the talk, right? Yeah, down at, I think it was a general assembly down in Denver. That's right. And definitely took away a couple of things that you said in particular about being the CEO of your own career and treating your career path like it's your own company. And that was a really good mindset shift to think about, am I making the right decisions for my career? There's a lot on the line here. And also there's many things that are going on. There's some things you can control. There's some things you can't. And then there's other things that you can influence. And so focus on the things you can control and influence the things you can influence and try not to worry about the things you can't control. They really stuck with me. And that's something I think working with CSMs, really pushing that on the like, hey, there's things we can't control. Let's work on what we can influence, especially in a software and we have opinions on the product and you're trying to push things across. It's like, let's influence the best we can and say we did the best we could. So I appreciate that. Thank you. My pleasure. And just the fact that three years later, you can still recount the specifics of what you took away from that meeting means a tremendous amount to me. If everybody at that meetup did, that would be just amazing. But thank you for hearing that. I appreciate that. And you know, they often give us food and drinks before this. So even if after a couple of beers, I'm still remembering it. It must have been good stuff. It must have been good stuff. Well, yeah. <laughs> thank you. All right. So you're the head of CX today, but I know it wasn't always that way. So let's rewind the clock a little bit. And would you share with us, how did you get into your first leadership position? My first true leadership position, I've always fallen into sports leadership and captaining different cricket teams or soccer teams and that kind of stuff. But in a professional sense, In 2006, I did an exchange program through an organization called CCUSA, which helps people from New Zealand and England, Australia get short-term summer camp positions in the US for a cultural exchange. The day I landed, got to camp, I immediately fell in love with what was going on there, the operation. I loved the staff camaraderie. I loved the mission. And so for the next eight to 10 years, I worked for that same summer camp and ended up working there full-time year-round. In my third year, I was promoted from just a camp counselor to what we call a division leader. You go from looking after eight kids to now managing anywhere up to 24 to 30 counselors who each in groups of two have their own cabin. 
So at any point in time, I was responsible for, in that one, 40 counselors and 160 kids. Wow. As a 23, 24-year-old who's traveling the world in a new country. And so that was my first kind of push into to leadership. I'd always been interested in going that route and becoming a division leader. So I had some good mentors along the way. And the first thing I did when I got offered the position was call up the previous one. I don't think I know anything. Like, tell me how to do it. What do I need to do? He basically said like, hey, you're a great counselor and you're going to be great at this. You're going to figure it out for yourself. And so I was like, okay, here we go. That was really it. Yeah. That's okay. Awesome. Because I wanted to ask you about that was how did you navigate a completely unfamiliar territory going from managing a small group, whoever you were counselor for, to now counselors and their each of their respective groups in the hundreds of people. So aside from getting that advice to you're going to be great at this, how else did you navigate that situation? Because I see a lot of parallels between being put in that position as well as getting promoted to a manager or director inside of a B2B SaaS company like you are today. I think initially I came in pretty hot and I was like, I want to be great. I want to do a great job. I'm going to be remembered here. And we go by camp names. So my real name is Simon, but my camp name is Maui. And so you don't tell the kids your real names. You go by this mysterious thing. And then if you want to, you can reveal it at the end of the summer or the kids Mm -hmm. try and guess. You know, I want Maui to be remembered. I want Mm -hmm. him to leave a legacy here and I want to do a great job. But what I quickly found is that it's important to build a really strong system of success Mm. instead of everything hinging on me. And I think in my early, that first year was a real learning thing where I probably had too much riding on me where there were situations where no one else knows what's going on apart from me. Yep. And so building really strong systems with really well-developed leaders coming in who could take my position at any time was really important. I remember one particular time we would run a talent show outside of the stage and kids would sign up and perform their various things. And I would kind of be running the logistics of this. And, you know, you have a list and if you press play at the wrong time or pause the wrong music, you might ruin a kid's dream of performing in front of his friends. So pretty high stakes on an emotional level. And I remember our camp director coming over saying, hey, I need you to come do this thing for us over here. Like, we're going to have a quick meeting about something else. And I was like, I can't leave. And he was like, you have to. Like, I need you for this meeting. I was like, no, look, you don't understand. This whole thing's going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. And he is like, Maui, get in the golf cart now. We're going and let's just see what happens. I was like, all right, well, I guess we'll just let it fall apart then. And then we talked on the golf course, like, what's the literally the worst thing that could happen right now? And we kind of went through these different scenarios. And he was like, don't you think you've got great staff who work for you? And I was like, yes. And he's like, don't you think running a kid's talent show is actually pretty easy? And I was like, well, okay. And we go off and do this thing and we come back and talent show is great. No one even didn't know I was there. Someone just took over the stuff. It all just worked. Just really learning that no one's bigger than the game was a really good lesson. And so I've definitely taken that through all of working in software is like building really strong delivery systems of success, processes that people can follow. If things are hinging on an individual person, that's typically where things fall apart. Like where's the documentation? Who knows how to do this? We have to wait till they come back. There's no reason things can't move forward if you've built a good system. That just really reminded me of build a system of success that as soon as I leave, someone else can jump in. I will add that when I go back and visit camp, and I have done a couple of times, it's called Riverway Ranch Camp in California. They're still using some of the evening programs that I created. Mm, and nice. so those things are lasting longer than me. I go there and see these kids enjoying it and the staff having a good time. No one ever wonders like, oh, I wonder who created this. Yeah. But when I get there, that's my payoff of like, look, people are still enjoying this great thing. I left a good system that someone else can just pick it up and change it and improve it. And I think that's where what I love doing in companies is adding that value and making sure 
there's a legacy in my work, but it doesn't have to be my name associated with it. That is a brilliant piece of advice and such a core, just one of the most important leadership principles is to build systems. The system cannot depend on you as the leader, right? If Maui was the, like you were in that situation, if you were the only person who could do that particular talent show and that particular thing, it would fail as soon as you left. And that is just absolutely wonderful. And there's so many parallels to what leaders have to do inside of B2B space with their Mm -hmm. teams today, right? Love how you said it's not about you. And that is the most important thing, right? It's about everybody else. And it's about the function that has to happen. Whoever runs it, it's not important because if you build a system that can run without you, that means you have now freed up your time to go solve another problem, which chances are it's probably going to be bigger and better. Yeah. Businesses run on processes. People build processes. Yep. When businesses run on people, that's when you run into problems. Yep. That's yep. <laughs> well said. Okay. So paint the path for me. You were for better part of 10 years, deeply immersed in the camp world. And then there was a transition of how you made it from the camp world into the technology world. And share with us a little bit about how that transition happened. And then we'll get into more about CampMinder and your leadership role today. I knew that I didn't want to be the executive director at a summer camp. I was also dating a girl from California. I wanted her to come back to New Zealand for a couple of years. And we kind of made a deal that if she came to New Zealand for a couple of years, I'd move back to the US full time eventually. And so that was great. We had some good time over there. And then when we landed back in the US, I thought my dream was to live in Los Angeles. We did that for a year and then realized it's a great place to visit. And I had a lot of fun there, but it wasn't for us. So I looked at companies I'd like to work at and states I'd like to live in and kind of made the list. And CampMinder, we'd onboarded with CampMinder at Riverway and I'd seen how that was transformational for the business. And so they had a great reputation to me. So I reached out there and they actually didn't have any positions available and they gave me the uh hey your resume looks great we'll call you if something comes up and i was like okay here we go and they did they called back and they said hey there's a new account manager position coming up we'd love you to have first bite of the apple can you come out and so i did a flew out there this was back when you had to fly places for interviews of course (laughs) but that was the only way it was going to (laughs) happen exactly right so i did my tour never been to denver never been to boulder came out for three days had some interviews and it worked out great. And so I accepted the job and we moved out to Colorado promptly. That was pre-customer success at CampMinder. So we were account managers. We're kind of, hey, do whatever it takes to keep people happy. And then a year later, I got a new VP of client services. Her name was Laura and she came in and I was like, hey, I think we need to do this new thing called client success. It's more about being proactive versus reactive. And she said, do you have a vision for it? I said, here's a great document. Let me walk you through it. Yeah. She said, okay, great. You know what? You're going to lead this team and you're going to build out customer success at CampMinder. And so that's what I've been doing for the last five or six years and just recently got promoted to head of CX and still overseeing our success operations, but moving into more customer touch points across the company, which is really cool. That's awesome. All right. So I love the proactive nature of you in just saying, here's what I think we need to do to your VP, right? Of which you had never built a CS organization prior to that, right? No. And Take us through like what that thought process was. Like, why was that the time and why were you the right person to bring this opportunity to the table? How'd you handle that? A bit of a compulsion and trying to be an expert at everything I do. And so I was like, how to be a great account manager. And not much honestly came up on the internet, but customer success kept popping up. Mm. So then I looked up Customer Success Colorado, reached out to Ed Powers, who runs yep. that. And I said, hey, I'm new to this. Would you be open to meeting for a coffee? 
so you can tell me how to do everything. And if you're going to ask somebody to tell you about it, Ed is a fantastic guy to walk yep. you through the ropes. Yeah. <laughs> and he was gracious enough to meet with me and he had a little notebook and he just asked me a lot of questions, mm-hmm. many of which I didn't have the answers for. And so we kind of left there saying, well, if you can answer all these questions about your business and where do you want to take it and what would you do here? That's a great place to start. And so mm. that's what led to me writing a proposal. But it was really about, you know, we have some mindset shifts we need to do. We have some technological shifts we need to do. We have some cultural shifts we need to do and kind of just started moving away from this advanced support. We'll do whatever it takes to being really deliberate in our interactions with customers. I think I've always had a fairly easy time determining what's the right response for a customer, framing it through the core values of Campminder. Like here's our core values. Here's what's good customer service. And here's what's actually the best outcome for a client. I think I've got a good nature to pick that out really quickly. And so I think I didn't have any problem like earning the respect of my peers or other people in the company. If you approach things with the customers and, you know, the best outcome in mind, it's really hard to argue with that versus coming in with a vendetta or a hunt or a grudge or just like, Mm -hmm. well, I want it this way. What's the best scenario? What's the best outcome for the client here? What does success look like? Just asking those questions, I think, started to help get pushed along to like help us improve. It's not just here's what we do. It's like, why do we do this? Is it working? Can we measure it? And how can we improve? Honestly, going back to camp, I think that drilled into me of like, you know, we wanted our enrollments to go up every year. We mm-hmm. wanted our counselors to improve every year. So measuring our camper satisfaction, the parent satisfaction, the counselor satisfaction, and then dialing in on the feedback and saying, what would actually improve it? You mm-hmm. know, I think that bringing in systems of measurement has always been really important and looking at the results and then improving and then measuring again, like, did it work? I think that's my nature is to be curious and to want to improve that way. And I think that helped me move forward. Yep. Yeah, no, that's tremendous. And as soon as you, I don't know if it was immediate, but made the proposal and then had the opportunity. When you made the proposal, were you actually thinking like, I really want to be the one to run this? Or were you just hoping that it was going to be received or at least heard from the organization? Like, were you going down that path and that's me? Or was this a, I think we should do this and maybe it wasn't thinking about the next step until your VP said, okay, go run this. I thought it was the best thing to do for our camps. Definitely, I was like, we need to move to this system. It's a better way to serve our camps. And the vision, if you explain to people, is really clear. Here's my ideal interaction. A client doesn't reach out to us. We look at their system, tell them there's something they're not using. I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, we noticed you're not using this. It's a great fit for your business. It's going to save you this amount of time. You should use it. And by the way, it's free. If you get enough of those, they start talking about the paid stuff. So the vision was really clear. I did know that customer success was a really good career track. Yeah. And so I figured if we could get out of account management into that long-term, that would be a really good career move. But I certainly wasn't thinking like, I'm going to take on this team right away and I'm pushing for a promotion, but was grateful when it happened. That's awesome. And again, just, you know, it's a common thread among lots of guests I've had on this podcast is the willingness to make a recommendation about how things could be done in a more effective, efficient better manner. And you made the key distinction that I want to call out is really important, which is this is a better outcome for us and the business as a whole. Mm -hmm. This isn't about me. It's not about what I want. You didn't go in saying, I want to run the customer success team and here's my plan. That's very different from we want to provide a better experience for our customers to have longer term relationships, expansion opportunities, et cetera. Here's one recommendation on how we could go about doing that. Right. Those mm-hmm. two things, while small changes in words make a dramatically different reception in the person who you're pitching it to. Yeah, definitely. And in our company, we're very tied to our mission because 
Yeah. Most of us either worked at camp, went to camp, have kids who go to camp. And so when you're focusing on that being the right outcome is helping these kids have the best summer of their lives. Everybody who works here gets it. If you're coming at it from that angle, we end up doing the right thing most of the time. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, so as you set up the customer success team and you began to build, tell us a little bit about the back to the systems. What were some of the systems and thoughts that you had? Because that was your mode of thinking from the beginning, not always every leader's mode of thinking, but that was it from the beginning. So how did you integrate systems into this part of your world, just like you did way back at the camp? Yeah, so I think early stage on was data wins arguments a lot of the times when you're Mm -hmm. pushing for product change in particular. And so there was a lot of systems of measurement that weren't in place. We're coming from a real place of like, but we hear this all the time. Now clients always say this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I start asking like, really? Every client says that? Every client says that all the time? Well, it's hard to quantify this kind of stuff. So bringing in tooling, using Salesforce, using customer success platform, we're currently using client success and we're really happy. We use Wootrack for our NPS and collecting scores. And so starting to really not just share the voice of the customer, but bring in data to go with it. Blending data and then stories together is a really great way to push for a change, right? If you've just got the story and nothing to back it up, it's just your gut. If you've just got data and numbers, it's Mm. kind of dehumanizing. And so bringing those things together to tell compelling stories, but getting that tooling in place first You've got to be able to measure it if you want to be able to use it. And so making ROI arguments for like, hey, we need some different systems here so we can measure things. Now we've got Pendo in place to track user behavior. We've got many different feedback tools in place. And then we can now package our feedback to the product team in a way that's really consumable for them versus giving Mm -hmm. them sheets and sheets of data. And here's what the clients say, like we can really say like, here's what we're hearing and here's the voice of the customer right now. And this might not be the most thing we hear the most, but look at these influential users who are saying these things and digging into it that way. I'll give you an example from camp that came through is that we had a really high retention rate with our campers. And, you know, you can say like 80% or 85% of kids come back for the second year, eligible kids before they age out. And so it's a really high number to celebrate. It's really easy to do, but there's 15% of those kids or whatever it was, didn't come back. And so we kind of pivoted one summer in our staff training. And it's like, yay, we got all these kids to come back. And here's a quick slideshow of some of the kids who didn't come back from mm-hmm. last year. And that data saying like, oh, 15% didn't come back. But here's the faces of the kids that you returning counselors remember, these kids didn't come back this year. And there's a reason they didn't come back. Mm-hmm. And that allowed us to pull some emotional strings, but show us like, we are doing a really good job but if we don't try and fight for every camper to come back and have the best summer ever, we're going to feel this way. And we're going to, it's going to be sad when some of these campers can't experience. We know we've got a great camp here and everyone should take advantage of it. And I think that was a really great example of like we flipped it versus like, yay, we're retaining all these campers. That's great. Same with retention for software, right? Like right. if we lose a camp, we know we're the best software to help them run their operations. That camp's not going to run as efficiently without us. And so what caused us to lose them and how can we improve? So a lot of those systems I've looked at have come through very different examples through camp, but applying them in the real world, but definitely getting the measurement tools in place and just having really clear processes in place where someone else can pick up the reins and follow the instructions clearly. We have a process called our wildfire process, which if there's a business stopping defect, you basically just open up this document and follow the steps. It used to be 
the CEO will come running out and the head of engineering's in the room. Now they can go do where else they need to do because we've got it. And it took creating a really strong process that we got through a few times to show like, hey, look, the process works, trust us. And now anybody in the company can run the wildfire process because they just pull up the document and go through it. It's things like that where it's like, take away the names from it, put the processes in place, get the right tooling there. And that enables us to measure and move forward. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. I want to dive into getting that process in place. And sometimes I talk to leaders and that can be some of the biggest challenge was with a leader not too long ago and was sharing the story, the fact that just given the stage they were at and the pace that they were running, the vast majority of the information that was needed to run efficiently in that customer success role it happened to be was Mm -hmm. in everybody's head. It felt at the time to this individual like it was a Mount Everest size of a task to extract something out and make it repeatable, build some playbooks, just like the wildfire process. So I know you integrated a lot of that from the beginning, but what advice would you share with other leaders who maybe there is still a lot of tribal knowledge inside of Mm -hmm. the organization and there's still a lot of firefighting where the leaders and executives and whoever else comes to bat when there's a mission critical issue? What advice would you share about transitioning from that kind of reactive environment to one where anybody in the company can run this critical process? I think a couple of things. I think one is if you are bringing in processes that are very important to the business, you need to be able to measure if they're working or not. So whether it's employee satisfaction, customer satisfaction, it's improving the speed of things. There should be a way to say, like, go back afterwards and say, we've been running this for a while. Is it working? Even if it's just a retro saying, is this causing any pain points? once a quarter, once a year. I think that's really important. I think the other piece is you don't have to get it right up front the very Mm -hmm. first time and get every detail of the process defined. I like to talk with my team about the spirit of the process. And if they're like, well, the process says to do this. And it's like, well, in this unique case with all the context that you know as the trusted advisor to this camp, what's in the spirit of this process? Like, could we skip this step? Do we need to charge them for this? Mm -hmm. Could we give them an extra 15 days? What is this process actually for? And if you can get really clear definitions of this process is for this reason and people can look at that and just understand it, that'll help them get like, oh, this is for when this happens and we do this because of this and this is the outcome we want. I'd say the biggest arguments we observe is like, well, the process didn't tell me to do that or the process conflicts with what I felt I should do. It's like, that's why I like the spirit of the process. Like, well, was what you did in the spirit of the process? Yeah, I was trying to get my customer the right outcome. We don't want to encourage bad behavior, but this was a one-off and there's really good context. Like, great, you did the right thing. And I think having that flexibility and the ability to look back and make changes as you improve, that would be my advice. I love it. The spirit of the process. I mean, that says an awful lot just in what the sentiment is you really want, because you want the outcome of the process. Is it going to go perfectly according to plan every single time? No. But can you align to the outcome every time? If you zig and zag a little bit here and there and Mm -hmm. capture the spirit? Absolutely. Right. And then that's also fun for your team because 
it gets kind of boring if you follow a step-by-step procedure for every single thing that you do or every single thing you do in certain situations. And spirit of the process means bring a little creativity to it. There might be other ways you could address this problem that have not been brought up before or maybe weren't captured in this process or new and could be brought in. And it gives freedom to be flexible and freedom to be creative. And as a CS professional, that's one of the most important things because some parts of the job might feel a little bit repetitive. And I like to talk about processes are made for dealing with a reasonable person. If we follow these steps, a reasonable person is going to understand and we're going to get the outcome that we want here. And 99% of the people we work with are absolutely wonderful. But, you know, there are sometimes people you catch them at a bad moment. They might be in the heat of summer and their software is down or something's going on. They're not coming at us in the right kind of way and they might react differently. And if you just try and follow the process and give the cookie cutter answers in those scenarios, it's going to inflame things and blow it up. Yeah. So that's where you just have to have that perspective of like, here's the process, here's what I know, here's my expertise as a CSM, combine all of that. And yeah. it's like, yeah, we're actually going to take a slightly different path or we're going to add on different things. And one thing I like about client success as a CS tool is you can have your playbooks, but you can add customized steps in and you can kind of show here's what else I did that I thought as a CSM was the right way to go, which I think is really awesome. Agree. And I was a client success user myself previously when I was VP of CS and appreciated the exact same setup and flexibility because things change. Accounts, yep. situations, they're all different. And that's part of the beauty of being in the CS world is that there are no two situations that are ever cookie cutter exactly the same. So we have to have frameworks, right? We have to have approaches. We got to understand the outcome. If we know mm-hmm. those things and we empower our teams, we can get there. No problem. It just might be a slightly different path. And while not everybody's a snowflake, there's a lot of consistency that we can drive across the team. (laughs) Your role has now evolved from just running the customer success team to now being responsible for all of CX and customer experience. Tell me a little bit about how that shift has affected you from a leadership position. What have you had to think about differently now than you did before? And kind of curious about how you're navigating the change. I think a big change is I was very focused on my team's interactions with clients, definitely aware of pain points across the board through any of our client-facing teams and how our clients engage with our platform. But now I have more control and more influence over the larger process now and can make recommendations to other teams. I think one of the things I'm most excited for is to really not only define the key points in the customer journey, but how do we measure it and what data we have Mm -hmm. and open up the company's eyes to some blind spots where we're still not getting necessarily the right measurements in different places. A big part of this in the first year is just fully defining out the client journey from start to finish, identifying those touch points, showing here's the metrics that we have to measure that each point is going well, and pick two to three in the first six months to focus on and say like, hey, we're going to work on these. We're going to measure them. We're going to improve it. We're going to measure again and see if it worked. And bringing in that idea of continual improvement with measurement versus, oh, we kind of feel like this isn't going too well. Let's improve it. It's like, yeah, we have some parts that aren't as perfect as they could be, but they're also very low impact on the business. And then there's other parts that are going pretty well that are really impactful to the business that we could take to another level. And those are the opportunities that I'm looking for. And right now I'm in that process of spelling it out and kind of seeing what's out there and then delivering that to our executive team saying, hey, here's what we got and here's where I think we should focus. I'm very excited for that. I also think learning about, I know what my touch points are. I know what the measurements are. You know, it's on our scorecard. 
it's been really eye-opening to see what other really awesome information is out there that we can use and bring it all together in one place. So that's been a really good perspective opener to see that some of my worldviews of what our customers want and don't want have really been challenges going through this. We implemented Pendo in November of last year. We had some pretty good guesses about where our customers spend the most time. I also personally had some horrible guesses on like, oh, I thought nobody used that feature. And it's like, wow, a third of our clients are logging in there once a week. It's getting that shining the light that really like, wow, we do know a lot, but we don't know everything. And so making sure that I'm really pushing forward with an open mind and and wondering and using empathy to see what's really going on Mm -hmm. versus driving from my hunches, which I think can be a really easy thing to do and want to come in hot, but reminding myself, it's not about my hunches. It's about what's the story here? What's my team saying? What are the other teams saying? What's the data saying? And where can we improve? The evolution that you talked about, you know, going from stories and early stages of organizations, it is all story-based because we don't have the tooling in place yet to have the data. And then there's usually a swing to get super data oriented and might take lots of different looks and dimensions over a year or two. But I love what you said now. It's the combination of the two that is the real secret sauce. It's not one or the other or one in absence of the other. It's actually both of them together because those stories become infinitely more powerful once you have the data. And that's what people will connect with, whether it's on the product team, engine team, customer side, executives, whatever. Data is only as good as the story you can tell with it. And if you have great stories, your data is going to tell exactly what you need to get across. And I think working with summer camp professionals, the stories that we're telling are really compelling, Yeah. right? And our goal is to take away the paperwork from camp professionals so they can get out on their campgrounds and engage with their staff and their campers and ensure that those bonds are being built and that campers are having a great time and staff are being developed. And so if we can reduce a million clicks a year, we're actually having those camp directors get out of the office more often. And so when we get the feedback saying like, you saved me from having to hire a person and we're a nonprofit and we don't have the budget for another person and Campminder is helping us in these ways or wow, like we got our forms in 30% earlier this year and it's our biggest struggle that we have because of these scan and go forms. I don't have to worry about that. I used to bring out interns for two weeks and pay them and we'd be up in the office till midnight. And once you start to hear those types of stories, of like the success we've had and how we can help, it's really easy to get excited about like, what else can we do? Like, what else is there? Like, where else can we save time? The quality of those stories, it's easy to get behind them and say like, look, what we're doing here is a really good thing. Yeah, love it. All right, Simon, last question here. Let's say you could go back in time. You know everything you know today, but you could go down and sit down with your younger self when you were getting into that first major leadership position after being a counselor at camp, and you could share some advice based on your whole experience from then until now. What advice would you share with your younger self? I think it's really easy to get wrapped up in trying to make every moment an amazing one. As a young professional, like every phone call, every conversation, I'm going to make it great. It's going to be amazing. I think that my guidance would be to like focus on creating deliberately magic moments throughout the journey as really key pieces of the experience. Kids go to camp, they go away for two weeks or longer. 10 years later, they're not talking about their high score in archery or like mm-hmm. how fast they did their fastest lap in the mini bike course or the name of the horse that they rode. One of the things I like to set up for my counselors was a, a kitchen raid. So I hope there's no kids listening. Spoilers, it's all set up by your leadership. But, you know, you put a box of s'mores or something and all the supplies into a, like a room that's pretty safe to go into. There's no access to the actual kitchen and you'd plan it and the kids would sneak up and stealth around the camp. And then 
they'd run into this back door and someone's got the job to grab the marshmallows, someone's a lookout, someone's got to grab the door and they run away and, and they prepare this kitchen raid. And it's like, those are really memorable things. The most memorable one I had was one bunk decided to do a kitchen raid and they hadn't told me. So I'd set it up for another bunk and they got all the supplies first. So when the kids that I had set it up for, I was like, oh no, they're going to hate it. There's no marshmallows. These kids get in there. They find all the ketchup packets, the mustard packets, pieces of bread, and they're like ripping off the ketchup and pouring it in their mouths. And the kids who got the, like what I would call the B grade kitchen raid thought it was even better than the kids who got the marshmallows. And I still know the campers remember that story. Yeah. And it's okay for things to also go off course. So like plan to make these moments, but sometimes you got to let it slide and be like, all right, this moment is changing and it's mm-hmm. going in a better direction. Yeah. Don't try and wrestle it back into the thing that you've started. It's like, oh, something better is happening. Let's jump on board with that. And I think early on, I'd be like, no, that's not how kitchen raids are supposed to go. You're supposed to get the marshmallows. You're supposed right. to tell you me. Yeah, the process, but, right? But this was more the spirit of the process. Exactly. And so when those kids come running up saying, we ate all the mustard. Great. I think that's good. No allergies. We're good. No allergies, right? Plan for those big moments. But also when things take their own shape, that's where innovation comes in. And you've got to let those conversations and let those things happen to kind of see what that outcome look like, even if it's outside your control as a leader. Because, you know, you can plan for the best thing, but you also don't know exactly what's going to happen. So you've got to let it go. Love it. Awesome. Wonderful advice. Simon, thank you so much for spending time with me and our audience today, sharing all your wisdom and expertise from your journey from camp counselor, camp leader, over to the B2B world in the startup environment in wonderful Boulder, Colorado, and now head of customer experience for CampMinder. So thanks so much for spending time. Really appreciate all the insight and wisdom that you shared. Great. Thanks, Niels. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.